no one else in my life has ever said anything as cruel as what she has said in those moments. And every time I've had to find new layers of forgiveness and new layers of love for her, being able to see her as someone who doesn't have access to the level of acceptance that I have access to, someone who doesn't have access to the level of perspective that I have and being able to love her anyway. This is Katie. And I'm Laura. And welcome to the Radical Resilience Podcast. Hey, Laura. Katie. How you doing? Girl, I have been going and going and going and going and going and going and going all day today. I started my day. I got up at 6.30, which I'm not you. I don't get up at that hour most days, but <laughs> I had an opportunity to go running with my friend, Liz. We've got a nice socially distanced fabulous road, dirt road that runs right under the mountains here. And we were there basically at sunrise because that's the time of year it is that the sun is coming up at 645 in the morning. And so we watched the sun come up over the mountains while we went running. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was a fantastic way to start the day. And she is one of those friends who will hold space for you if you just need to like get a whole bunch of stuff off your chest. And I think I just needed to like vent. I can't talk when I run. I'm struggling to breathe. Well, we were not really trying to run fast. We were just really proud of ourselves for getting out, period, in below freezing weather, period. Like there was no like effort at trying to like win any records or actually feel like we were training for anything. We were just out to move our bodies and get a little jog in and connect and start the day off right, which we did. And um, and it just was so lovely to feel heard and like, you know, whatever I needed to say was just said and then it was gone from the space, which was really nice. But then since then I got, like, got home and then it was, you know, meeting, prep, meeting, prep, meeting, prep, meeting, prep all day. And all of the meetings have been productive and interesting and engaging and filled with smart, enthusiastic people, which is really fun. But I am like, whew all right, it's now been almost 14 hours and I'm still going. <laughs> but the best part is that we're going to record the podcast and you're going to love the guest because I'm in love with her. That's good. I expect that by the end of it, I'll be <laughs> in love with her too. That's usually how it goes. What about yourself? What is, uh, let's do the, let's do joy because like within all of that craziness that I just described, not only was it joyful to be with my friend this morning, but I also found a lot of joy and gratitude in all of these teams that I'm a part of, you know, I think I find so much joy in the team of you and I, and the team that we create with our guests when they come on, but also in like the team that I'm, that I have at work. Like I, we're, we're disgusting. We're always like, oh, yeah, I love our team. Like we're that <laughs> team. We're, we're those people and it's nauseating and awesome. And I love it. So I think I'm in the space of like gratitude. Like I'm in a good relationship and Josh and I make a good team. And, and so I'm like in that, I'm very present to that today. And it is really my source of joy because otherwise I don't know how I would get through. If I was in a long day of stuff with people who are miserable, it would be intolerable, but I'm here and I'm kicking in. I'm excited because all of those things that have come before have been joy filled. I'll tell you why I'm joy filled. Joy -filled. I had to drop off my MacBook at the Apple store, which is like booked out weeks crazy because of, because of COVID and everything. I tried to fix it myself originally by posting on Facebook. It was very overwhelming. And <laughs> so I knew it was best to just bring it to get help. Brought it. Was very had a really cool conversation with the guy who worked there. He had really beautiful eyelashes. And I was telling him that. And he said he used to be embarrassed to be called beautiful as a man. So he cut his eyelashes when he was six. So we just had like these fun conversations, but he was awesome. And so today, when I finally went to go pick up my laptop and get the new battery because it wasn't working, the guy gave me this computer. And I was like, oh, that's not my laptop. And um, because mine's like full of stickers from all the national parks and everything. And he was like, we just took care of you. And so they gave me a brand new um, screen and cover and the shell to the whole laptop, a brand new keyboard, a brand new mouse pad and a brand new battery and everything for free. And I'm, I'm so happy because I had prepared to pay the money for it. And now the whole thing's like he said, the only thing original is your hardware and the speakers. And then I got a thing after just saying that I was one of the only people that's ever filled out the survey with like a, such a depth of gratitude and thanks and um, 
and, you know, like in sharing my experience with the worker and that they just wanted to, you know, offer thanks in return because they don't get that. And I was like, dang, I got love bombed. They love bomb <laughs> the love bomb. So now I have a computer, which I got it back right before I was actually messaging the guest tonight, messaging them, trying to pick up the laptop so I would have it to record. And I was trying to like switch uh, guests and stuff. So it was funny, but I have it. And it looks like the sc- you're, you are so beautiful on the screen. I know this is audio. It's so clear and it's it's almost too clear because before, I guess, I didn't realize how bad the screen was. So everyone was kind of like phased out, <laughs> like almost like there was a filter. And now it's just like, whoa, but I love it. So that's what I'm joyful about. And then just every Tuesday, like you said, just knowing that we've been recording for every Tuesday for months, um, you know, before Monday and Tuesday and stuff. And it's and I love it. And every single time I'm just my heart and my soul is just restored in, in a new way. And so I'm so excited and I'm really, really excited for the person that we are talking to next and for you to get to meet her. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to let you all know about all of the awesome projects you can engage in today with us. And when we come back, we are going to bring you Rosie Volcano. Life is always happening nonstop every moment. Things either feel as if they're coming together or they're falling apart. When you're on this wild ride, the falling apart moments can feel like the end of who you are. But with the proper skill set, these circumstances that break us down become the moments that awaken us, build our strength, and cause us to grow. To prepare your skill set, I created the Revolutionary Resiliency Course, challenging yourself to go within, dig deeper, make discoveries, and learn while being guided through the exercises in soul work. Together, we will build resilience that is not just radical, but revolutionary. Visit our website, RadicalResiliencePodcast.com to get started. I love you and I'll see you there. Meet Rosie Volcano, creator and master coach and trainer of the little volcano. Coach Rosie is known as the queen mother volcano. Rosie is part unicorn, part shamanic priestess and part transformational coach. Rosie knew from the time that she was very small, that she had a sacred connection to the divine. Her first memory was from the age of eight weeks old. She could talk to spirits, see angels and travel the world in her dreams. Through past lives, timelines, dimensions, and quantum realities, she has reincarnated in this form that you will hear before you today to deliver this message. You are worthy of love and you can heal. Her areas of expertise, teaching, mentorship, truth-seeking, truth-speaking, shamanic intention, spiritual midwifery, exorcisms, trauma release, leadership training. Her superpower, she empowers people to discover their own power and embody it. Her gifts, bringing together a tribe of misfits and teaching them to love each other, educating while entertaining, speaking life into people, a deep love of costumes and everything magical. Oh boy, you all know that she and I are going to get along. (laughs) And her secret weapon, she can impersonate several late 90s rappers when she needs an element of surprise. (laughs) Just kidding. She mothers the motherless. Oh, I was so excited about those. Rosie, (laughs) hello. Hi. (laughs) I love 90s rap. Well, I actually can impersonate Ludacris and Dr. Dre. But um, yeah, I, I can I can still recall them. I could still bring them up when I'm in the right mood, for sure. <laughs> well, if the mood strikes you at any point during this conversation, yeah, interrupt whatever feel we're free doing. To drop it. Uh, a fun fact about Rosie Lara is that yesterday, uh, thanks to Facebook Memories, it showed me the picture of the day that we met, and we were we went to a white party. We were invited to a white party, and everyone was like, one of the girls was in her wedding dress. I don't know if you remember that, but everyone was in like fancy, fancy outfits as I believe you're supposed to. And I showed up as a white unicorn with a rainbow, like mane and stuff. And then Rosie showed up in a unicorn onesie also. And Kit too. And Kit too. Yeah. Oh, it was so awesome. And I was like, who are these people? And I need to be their friends forever. So yesterday was our anniversary. It was our unicorn anniversary. Yep. I love that for you guys. I love it so much. So Rosie, um, we kick off our podcast the same with all of our guests, uh, although the answers are always so different, which is why it's fun. So Katie and I have named the podcast Radical Resilience, and I kind of toss in the radical with my project of Radical Reflection, and Katie is the queen of resilience. But there's something really 
special when you put those two words together, radical and resilience. And I know that they land differently for everybody and they land differently when you put them together, depending on who you are, your story and how you got here. So we would love for you to just dive in and share with our listeners radical and resilience and how, like what meaning those two words hold for you either separately or together. You know, what's funny is back in the day when Katie and I first met, we were in a coaching program community together. And a lot of the people in that community called me Radical Rosie from some icebreaker thing that we did at an event. And so everybody referred to me as Radical Rosie, which is so funny. So that's the first thing that comes to mind. But when putting those two words together, I really feel, I mean, like for me personally, I see Katie as someone who's really radically resilient. And I know that she and I identify in a lot of the same ways through our own healing journeys that we've shared with each other. And I guess the way I would see it is someone who makes the choice to love the people who have caused them suffering. I think that's one of like the most radical ways to be resilient and to create inner resilience is when, when you can do that. And it's radical because for most people, they don't even consider that. For most people, if you bring that idea forward to them, they're like, what are you crazy? But I know for myself and for Katie and for many of the people I've worked with and taught this stuff to, to me, that is really one of the most powerful ways to create resilience from everything, from all the suffering you've experienced is through forgiveness and through love. Oh, I love that. Would you say um, part of it also is like in, in connection with that is also like deciding to love when you have all the evidence and every reason and every excuse or everything like even evident like hard fact evidence not to absolutely it's like it's so funny because rosie makes normalizes it so much for me i get like through the years again to know you but it's something that for living my whole life that way has felt super lonely a lot to take that stand to stand so firmly for your friends to step into their excellence and if they don't call them out and you know and then people are scared so they pull back but it's like uh, it's everything I wish I had. I wish people had called me out on stuff, you know, and I didn't have that. So it's like, and you are the perfect representation of doing that, of always stepping in. For a lot of our guests, we asked them, um, you know, because as as we talked beforehand and stuff, it's not we we want to hear about everyone's like journey and the and the before everything, not where we got where everything's like we're strong and you know we can speak on stage and hear that. And you have such a di different, unique thing just in what Lara was reading that you started your first memory at eight weeks where like some people we have to like pull out of them to try to figure out, you know, where stuff came from. Is there anything that when you like look back, you know, because it is so different than the normal experience that, that you have that awareness where you tapped into like struggles you can remember or something that went on and kind of thinking like, what would I do to get out of it that later, you know, you realize was maybe resiliency or something, but when you're that young, what was the awareness? Well, <laughs> my first my first memory, actually, I mean, because, you know, generally the first memories that we have are of the first time we felt trauma or discomfort, right? And my first memory, because I was so young, uh, wasn't necessarily traumatic, but because I was so young, it was perceived in that way. And so my first memory was actually of my mother handing me to another woman for her to breastfeed me. And I remember the feelings of be not being wanted by my mother, right? And so um, that created a whole pattern in my childhood. And I grew up in Baltimore City, which was a very scary place in the 80s and 90s. There was a lot of things happening that would be considered maybe kind of bigger or more traumatic than than that. But I think that's the funny thing about trauma, isn't it? And about resilience is it's such a subjective experience. It's not to be judged or compared or yeah. Exactly. And so when it really comes down to me and and my story, it's like, yeah, you could look at all these things that happened around me, but the real resilience was developed through healing that that pattern with my mom that kept coming up. It's really interesting that you the way that you answered the first question of radical resilience as loving radically, like in situations where most people, like literally no one would blame you for walking away, never talking to somebody again, cutting off ties, whatever. Like we fought, we have like this whole criteria of acceptable moments to stop loving someone. And I find it so interesting that, you know, that origin story for you, that first memory is 
one that, you know, then became a pattern between you and the person who like, there's like this assumption of deep love, right? Like there's this assumption that there's supposed to be a particular kind of trust and connection and bond between mothers and, and their children. And like this early first memory is, is like a violation of that connection in some ways. So I think that's like such an interesting, like starting point ending philosophy or current philosophy. We're still growing, but. Oh yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's evolved in so many ways. And I could talk a little bit about, um, kind of like the big awakening year, which came much later in life, but to just touch on the theme with my mom a little bit more and how it evolved, it played out in so many different ways, but essentially I grew up to, uh, be, a lesbian who married a woman and my parents are Catholic, very, very conservative. And then my wife transitioned and became a man. So not only was I a lesbian, now I was married to a trans person. And then I decided to get pregnant and my, my partner and I got pregnant with two other guys. So we're four, we're a four parent family. We're all co-parenting, which is a very radical idea, very non-traditional. Weren't you the first ones in California legally? That's what everyone at the courthouse is telling us. I'm not sure if that's actually true. I haven't verified it, but yeah, that's, there were all four of us on the birth certificate and everyone at the courthouse is like, yeah, I've never seen this before. And it just became a, a legal thing to do in California very recently too. So, so that's very exciting, but, um, each time I kind of came out into a new phase of my life and, and coming into who I am, my parents would shut me out or shut me down. My mom would, but it's the more, the most recent one was when I got pregnant and, you know, <laughs> it's just been like evolution after evolution of, of going deeper and how much more can I love this person? How much more can I love this person? Even though she's judging me, even though she's saying, the most horrible things that anyone has ever said about gay people, trans people, and having a four-parent family. No one else in my life has ever said anything as cruel as what she has said in those moments. And every time I've had to find new layers of forgiveness and new layers of love for her, being able to see her as someone who doesn't have access to the level of acceptance that I have access to, someone who doesn't have access to the level of perspective that I have and being able to love her anyway. Not like I'm a doormat, but just in the sense that I can see and accept that she's in the place in her life because of her trauma. But with healthy boundaries. With healthy boundaries. And I can love her and still have a beautiful relationship with her and have boundaries with her and say, it's okay if you think these things and, I'm going to have boundaries with you, but I love and accept you exactly as you are. And because I've been able to do that with her, she's been able to let go of those judgments. She's been able to heal herself of those judgments over and over and over again. And there have been moments where she's called me and said, wow, I realize now that you're leading by example. And I actually, if I call myself Christian, I actually need to be more <laughs> accepting of you. And so it's been this really beautiful, like alchemy between the two of us. I didn't know that part of you. Is she with your dad or are they not together? Yeah, she's with my dad. They live in Delaware now. Yeah, they've been together for 46 years. Wow. Because I know he came out to help you with your house. Yeah. And my dad, he went through his own journey of acceptance back when we first got married in 2013. And since then, he's kind of rolled with it more than my mom has. Was there ever a time for you? Um, I feel like communication and being able to use our voice and how quickly we silence ourselves is, is a huge part of the problem. Like I think for me, I believe when I speak, I, I take the power away from what I'm fearful of sharing. Is there like a time growing up where you allowed to share? Was that not there and something? Cause I know now obviously you're very vocal and you know, like practice nonviolent communication, you have all these other skills, but is there something that when you look back, that that was something that you did? Because to me, you're like fearless and brave and you just, and you're courageous and all this stuff. But I imagine to become that person, you also had to develop strong enough skills to know how to do it in a healthy way, you know? And so where did you ever, did you ever like fumble through all of that? You know, it's funny, even though I grew up very conservative Catholic. My parents, my mom was very creative. She went to art school and she always encouraged all of us to be exactly who we wanted to be. She always said that you be who you want to be, wear what you want to wear, do what you want to do, say what you want to say, even believe what you want to believe when we were old enough. And so 
it's kind of funny because she she got it. She she encouraged all of us to be very very different from her and my dad in doing that in like celebrating our differences, celebrating our uniqueness. And so I always felt very comfortable being exactly who I was. And I I mean I knew I was queer at the age of thirteen, and I talked about it at home, but I think they just thought I was kidding <laughs> for a long time, you know. And so uh, yeah, I, it it that's the funny thing is I grew up in a house where we all spoke our mind. I mean, you guys are from the East Coast. You're from Boston. People are very, in general, I'm going to say in general, in that part of the country, a little bit more mm, vocal, you know, and that's how we were. We were Italian. We grew up. We shared our emotions with each other. We shared our differences, but we still loved each other through all of that. And I think that was just a beautiful gift that I received from them. One thing that you said that really, really grabbed my attention is how the tables have sort of turned in a way where you often are the are the one in the family taking the lead when it comes to loving. You're taking the lead when it comes to, um, and I'm not talking about that core affection between people or that core bond, but like really, really having that radical love and the patience and the acceptance and acknowledgement of where they are, what they have access to, and having these moments with your mother that I think a lot of people would find miraculous, right? It like, it's, we have it that like people are the way they are and that's it. And it's like talking to a brick wall and there's no getting through. And so to, I'm sure to a lot of people, what, what you have experienced with your mom would feel like a miracle. But the other thing that really grabs me about it is it's like the reverse order of who, who's the leader, right? We live in a society where there's this expectation of what our parents owe us, right? You know, they raised us, they screwed us up. It's their job to fix us. And you have just sort of leaned into my parents are perfect the way that they are. They did their jobs. I'm here and I'm capable and I have access to all of these things. So I'm just going to lean in and live into it. And then all of a sudden you're creating miracles with your mother where she's following you and learning from you and being raised by you. Has that been your experience or like can talk a little bit about that? Because I'm like totally awestruck how you just like put aside that she owes you anything. I mean, you know, I was in a lot of pain for most of my life because I saw it that way because there was a lot of other stuff going on, of course, too, as there usually is. And a lot of resentment, a lot of regret, a lot of anger towards my family for not having what I thought I should have had growing up. And I realized at a certain age that all of that resentment and anger it becomes internalized. It, it, it sinks into your cell tissue, into your body. It starts to make you sick. And I had a, a big year. I call it like my year of trauma. Like all of the things happened in one year when I was 25. It was, it was just like the universe was kind of like just knocking me upside the head with a sledgehammer. Like, are you waking up yet? Are you waking up yet? Okay. I'll give you another one. So it was, it was in that awakening that I woke up to the idea that we, we have all chosen our experiences. We chose our parents. We chose our parents for a very specific reason, and they are here to help us on our evolution and knowing everything we know about ourselves and evolving spiritually in all the ways that we need to evolve. And so that for me was when I really started learning res resilience was when I began to be able to thank my experiences, to thank everything that I've been through for where I am now. Can you share with us something during that? that year of 25, were you like some kind of trauma or something that you went through and how you, what it looks like to think through it? Do we want to do like a trigger warning? I could snap it out really quick if you want to hear about it. Whatever you're comfortable sharing, I think. I'm totally comfortable sharing it. Okay. So I was 25. I had been kind of ignoring all of my feelings growing up, just kind of getting by on, um, proving to myself that I could adult really well and just push down anything that I had feelings about and ignore it. You know, that was just my life. And I was really tough. I was very independent. I could take care of myself. And that's, that was like my MO. And within this year, it started with um, someone coming up to me on the street and I think he was trying to mug me, but he just ended up punching me in the face and he broke my jaw. After that, I shortly moved to Italy. I was already on my way there. And so I kind of healed up a little bit, moved to Italy and had an experience with a couch surfing host where I was raped. Uh, shortly after that, I moved back to the States and got into a very toxic relationship with an alcoholic uh, who was abusive. 
within weeks of moving in with her, uh, our apartment was robbed and everything we owned was stolen. And then a few weeks later, I moved into a new place that caught on fire and burned down while I was in it. Oh, and also during all of this, I caught mono. And at this point I was 26. If you catch mono when you're older, it lasts for a long time. Like it can turn into chronic fatigue. So that's what was happening. I was sick with mono for a whole year when all of this stuff was happening. So I was laying in bed sick with mono as my apartment was burning down in Chicago in December. I think, okay, so that was basically the year, right? That was just within 12 months. And at that point, by the time the fire happened, I was, I, I grabbed, all I owned at the time was this fur coat that my grandmother had given me, she passed away, and a laptop. <laughs> and so I ran outside wearing this fur coat and, in my underwear in a laptop in Chicago in December. And I'm just standing there, like watching it burn down. And I'm like, there's something I'm meant to learn. There is something that is meant to be happening here and I'm not getting it. I'm opening myself up to receive. I I know that there's a lesson on the way. And this is before I was really spiritual with anything. Pretty shortly after that, I started dating Kit. And Kit and I were kind of like the two secret woo-woo people out of all of our friends in Chicago. Nobody was woo-woo. Nobody was spiritual. But he and I had this kind of secret desire to explore this stuff. And so we started reading tarot cards together and he took me to uh, my very first forest yoga class. And forest yoga, if you guys don't know, if you haven't heard of it, it's forest with two R's because it's named after a woman named Anna Forest who created it. And she specializes in helping people heal from trauma because of her own story. And she's a trained coach. Um, she's trained in lots of different trauma healing techniques that she incorporates into the yoga. And so it's not like your average yoga class. It's very, very powerful. And so Kit took me to my first class and we had been dating for two weeks and, and I, I was a Bikram yoga person. I was like, I'm a badass. Look at me. It's 105 degrees in here. I liked punishing myself. And so he was like, come to yoga class. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, watch this. It kicked my butt completely. Not only was like the, it was physically hard, but at the end of the class, the teacher walked us through this process called Ho'oponopono, which is a Hawaiian, it's a traditional Hawaiian healing prayer, essentially, which translates to, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. So it's four phrases. You can say them in any order and it's there to help you heal and move on and say thank you to everything that's caused you pain. And so at that time, this is at the end of that those 12 months of all those things happening, she walked us through this and she said, think of one person who's caused you suffering. Say those things to that person. Think of an, ex an experience. Think of one person who needs to forgive you that you need forgiveness from and say those things to that person. And then say those things to yourself. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you, I love you. And it was in that moment that it was just like this shell cracked open inside of me and all this light started coming out. And it felt like that that bio you read of me from when I was a little kid and I could see angels and I could, you know, astral project in my dreams and I could, you know, all of these things that, that I felt very spiritually connected to. I loved going to church as a kid because I felt like I was talking directly to God. That had been shut off from my first real trauma as a child around the age of se seven or eight, all the way up until that point when I was 26. And in that moment, it was like, it just came flooding out. And I knew right then that that was the key to the healing was to thank it and to start doing those processes. So shortly after that, I became a forest yoga teacher. Kit and I went together. We got married and our honeymoon was in teacher training together. Did you ever find resistance in the process of thanking it? Or did, were you able to just surrender and do it right away? Or was there like, I know to thank it. I know that this makes sense and this is what I want. But like, did you find, because I know for myself, there's things that I've been wanting to think. And then I'm also like, that's, uh, and I can't like, you know, like it, I mean, I've worked on it and got there, but now I'm going to cry. Like it, it just to know what someone goes through to actually be so fiercely loving to a situation and so forgiving and all of that. Like for me, it was a journey and it was something that I totally had to learn how to flex. Were you able to just step into it? Cause your first experience with it was so beautiful, like in the forest yoga, or was it a journey that a journey in itself? I think it's all about the layers. It's like an onion, right? Healing trauma is like an onion. There's always new layers to peel back. And, and I always buy the biggest onion in these, these things. Oh. <laughs> like I need to start buying the little little mini pearl onion. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I think it, when people start saying things like, I've done this before, but I've done the work already. Why do I need to do it again? I'm like, girl, 
You've brushed your teeth before. Does that mean you don't need to brush them tomorrow? It's a continuous process. And so, yeah, in that moment, I was totally ready to, to thank certain people. For instance, the person who broke my jaw, I could instantly see, I could instantly put myself in his shoes. I, I knew I lived in an area with a lot of gangs. I knew that he was probably doing this as some sort of gang initiation or because he was in a very desperate place or whatever the reason was. I, I, when I put myself back in that situation, I, I could see his eyes. I could see that he was more terrified than I was, you know? And, and in that moment, that was so easy. It was easy, easy, easy to thank him and to thank that experience for teaching me and for awakening me. For other things, it's not so hard. Like child molestation is a little bit of a trickier one that takes maybe more practice and more time and more, tr more tries, right? Like you could try the first time and still be like, no, I'm still pissed. <laughs> and come back to it in six months and be like, okay, let's try again, right? That one took me a few more years to heal, but. Can you speak real quick on, um, just for just for everyone listening, because I'm curious, when you ask or when you offer that forgiveness or you do that thing, I don't want to like project my experience, but when you don't get the response back that you would desire, like I remember the first time I did it for um, one of the, one of the people who had sexually assaulted me, I like, I thought I was giving him the world. Like I, I thought he was tormented for what he did. And I was calling and I was like, you can let this go. And he was like, took you long enough, miss love bomb. Like, like it just, and I was so, so there was an expectation of what I thought I would get back from it. So I just like, if you can just share on what it looks like when you do think it and you do do that process, what it looks like also when you're not met with someone who's at that awareness. And this is, yeah, this is a very interesting one, Katie, because, you know, oftentimes the, the ones who've attacked us, we don't know, like in my case, or they've passed away, you know, or there's somebody that you don't have access to anymore. You don't even know where or how to communicate with them. And so I think that, I think that especially within the whole Ho'oponopono process, what they teach around that is that all of the cleansing takes place inside of yourself. The whole conversation takes place inside of yourself. The other person lives inside of you and the piece of you that it needs to forgive that person, all of that lives inside of you. And so by you cleaning up that story and you resolving it within yourself, it actually doesn't matter what the other person thinks. You know, a lot, a lot of people also, I mean, for instance, like the childhood person, I don't even know if he would remember doing that right? I still know him to this day. He's still friends with my family. And I don't even think that he would remember it or acknowledge it. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But for me, that it doesn't really matter. What matters for me is that the piece of him that lived on inside of me is healed. And I know that by me doing that work, it is going to affect him in some way, even if he doesn't know I'm doing it. I have another question. Um, when you have a heart, like yours that's so big and when you are able to forgive because you always see the best in people or you can understand someone's pain like you can you know like i volunteer in the prisons and stuff and i'm just like put yourself in their shoes and so that's how i have to get through the days when i volunteer there for the eight hour days and when you are someone who's so capable and willing to go to that space to understand their darkness and laura you understand because we were theater majors and like you go to that place as a very real thing. You don't play a bad character. You play a character who those were the best choices. And that was the way they saw to navigate and do stuff. How do you also not get walked all over? And how do you have like a healthy, I guess like a healthy boundary or something like that with too? Because I know a lot of times with personalities, like all three of us, there are people who I know that I'm the one, usually the one where there's certain friends where I'm shit on the first because I know I'll forgive or you know, there's people, Rosie, that we know that just like blocked me and cut me and just like out. But if they ever called, I'd answer and be there in a heartbeat and stuff. I'm very much more intentional with my boundaries now. And that's something that I really, really had to work on because I was so loving. But so how do you navigate that? Because that that for a lot of people listening to your story, I think is a hard area when you want to love so hard and when you are capable of seeing their true experience or or understanding, you know, maybe they didn't come from X, Y and Z. How do you how do you figure that all out. So the question is, how do you love somebody and still have boundaries with them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is an interesting one, because I actually, um, I have a brother that I don't talk to or interact with. And, 
you know, I've told you I've, I've forgiven my parents. We have a great relationship, even though they're pretty much homophobic, transphobic, yada, yada, yada. I've forgiven the person who broke my jaw and, and you know, all these people. And, and some of them I have relationships with, some of them I don't. And my brother is one of those people that I've had to make a decision for myself energetically, emotionally, physically, for all of those elements of safety in my life, just not to have him in my life. Because I think that there comes a point where, especially when you're bringing other people into the world, and then that person can impact those other people by being in your life, whether that's your partner or your children or your furry children. You know, if there's a person who's dangerous, if there's a person, whether it's physically dangerous, emotionally dangerous, or or toxic in that way, maybe somebody who is a very, very dear friend, but has a substance problem and calls you to rescue them every few months in the middle of the night, right? That that becomes dangerous for you, for your relationships, for your physical health. And so that for me is where I have to make that decision is I have to get into alignment and and really just invite in that that person in invite in their energy, acknowledge it and and assess it and see where is this going? Is this going to go in the direction that I want to go in? And if not, that's okay. I can still love that person and they don't have to be a part of my life. Yeah. I can still heal the part of that person that's inside of me and they don't have to be in my life. Yeah. I'm really getting that boundaries are a crucial and critical part of love. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which is funny because when I taught preschool, you would think like all the parents or the, you know, the different people will be like, oh, there's so many rules. And it's like, no, kids crave boundaries and kids crave structure. And the kids that didn't get it at home, you saw how badly they want. They just, they would do anything just to get the structure back, just to get that like attention. It's funny. So we have that where boundaries and structures are truly like beautiful and give kids so much more confidence. Like, oh, I can only go this far. And then they master that. And then, you know, then there's something else. But then in the middle of some part of our adulthood, we're just like, oh, boundaries are bad. Like that means that I'm limited or that means that I'm turning someone away or and we then all these other feelings come up when boundaries are so, I mean, when I, when I learned about boundaries, man, what a, <laughs> I was exhausted before because I was constantly doing for everyone. Even when I started my coaching business back in 2013 when I was doing it and I was like, well, I'll take on everyone who's sick because I know about their medical debt. And but you know, then I had like 36 people I took on for nothing that was like in my heart. And I was just, I burned myself out and I lost everything saving the world, you know, like, and I didn't understand boundaries. So it, I think it's a huge part and a huge part of resiliency because I'm able to be more resilient and then give back more and do more and be so radical by protecting myself first. But at first I thought it meant like, I thought fierce loving meant giving till I hit the ground. Yeah, me too. I've been a healer my entire career. Essentially, I started out as a body worker, massage therapist, transitioned into teaching forest yoga and doing energy work, and then into coaching. And it's all the same thing to me. They just use different tools to do it. And I think a lot of empaths out there think that this is what they're meant to do. Oh, well, I can feel people's emotions when I'm around them. I'm meant to feel them. I'm meant to heal them. I'm meant to fix this person. But for a lot of empaths, what it really is that, that they don't realize yet is it's unrecognized codependence and a lack of boundaries. And you're absolutely right that if they continue to go down that road and, and a lot of empaths out there who are listening will understand this. Yeah. I'm sure you've been here. You've been burned out before. You've been, you've put your needs aside for everyone else around you before. And, and sometimes I'm sure you've caught yourself and thought like, wait, why am I doing this for this person? Wait, Am I actually just really tired right now and I need to listen to my body? No, 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 no. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Right? It's like this in forest yoga, we called it, we call it the sacrificial whore, but in the little volcano, we call it uh, the sacrificial healer. It's a little bit more gentle. I call it the sacrificial healer. So it's like a lot of healers out there will recognize that. And the best thing, the most powerful thing they can do for themselves, but also for everybody that they heal is to not suck up all everyone's pain like a sponge have those boundaries because that means they're going to be around to empower those people to heal themselves. They're going to be around to have a bigger impact on the world and inevitably help more people because they're helping themselves first. I can identify with what you're talking about with regards to the thanking process. Although like 
you, you haven't actually even done more than introduce the whole concept of gratitude for what has happened to you or, you know, the, the, the mantra, but, you know, it occurred to me as you were speaking just now that, um, I had been in an abusive relationship in college and I can find gratitude in it because the next time I encountered a person who displayed those behaviors, I was able to identify it before I went any farther. And I was able to identified even in language, never mind like physical behaviors. And that was a really quick catch. And I was just like, man, thank God I knew to see that stuff because I didn't know when I was 19 and got myself into a really scary situation. And it's not even that like history is meant to repeat itself or that I was doing anything wrong. It's just people are out there with their pain all over the place, right? Like everyone's thrown their pain all over the place. And so you, you know, you can encounter, anybody can encounter those people at any time. And man, what a gift was it for me in that moment to go, that is not okay with me. And I don't want to be spoken to that way. And I, it is now time for me to put this boundary in place, like to say, you got some work to do over there. I don't need it over here. And like, I bear no ill will to that person. I can very easily see where that pain was coming from. But I also was capable in that moment of setting a boundary that kept me safe and was able to not even make it about me. Like the, make the words he was flinging at me. I didn't have to like adopt them as like, yes, I am a bitch or yes, I am, you know, I am doing awful things and being mean to you. Like that, none of that, you know, just because I was like trying to break up, like that was you know, like, it was just really interesting, like finding that strength and finding that gratitude for the past experience that I lived through to be able to move forward. Now, would I w wish that lesson on another person? Of course not. You know, I think I would like to think that we can learn through other means how to set good boundaries, but that was my story. And so thank you for sharing that because I got like, 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 oh man, yeah, that's, there's the gratitude right there that leads to the boundary. <laughs> Wait till you just follow her on social media. She had made a post about someone in her life that, that I know through online social media and her and just the boundaries and the stand she took and her beliefs and stuff. And I was like sitting here reading it. And I was like, because <laughs> I was just so like, I love seeing that kind of stuff. Because I think there's so many people that try to twist or turn things, you know, in a different way or or misuse language or try to, you know, use fancy coaching words or different things like that. And I'm like, no, it just it is what it is like that. Let's not it's not created to be something else. So I, when you follow her, everyone after this episode, you'll I mean, just constant growth and lessons. Rosie, for just for this segment, for one last question, if you had um, something to tell everyone, like if they wanted to step more into being radically resilient starting like tomorrow or something, what would your advice be for them to kind of take this stand for themselves and shift in this direction and know that it's, you know, it's not about one certain way. It's not about this technique or that technique that that's going to get them there. It's, it's okay. And whatever works, what would you suggest for them? Yeah, I think the the biggest shift that I can suggest, and it's going to feel probably the most difficult for people, but it's I think it's the most important, the most vital shift that you can make to start to become resilient is to just start saying, I chose this for a reason. I chose this experience for a reason and start seeing everything that you've experienced through that lens, even though it might feel totally crazy, like how could I possibly have chosen have this happen to me, right? Especially those moments really tap in and say, okay, if I chose this experience before I was born, what was the lesson I was meant to have? Was the lesson forgiveness? Was the lesson resilience? Was the lesson to never have a relationship like that again afterwards and, and choose, a, choose a new, better, more empowering relationship? What was the lesson? When you can start to see your experiences through that lens, you take your power back. And you can only heal when you have your power back. You can't heal from a disempowered place. Super awesome response. Also probably super triggering to a lot of people listening because that's, yeah, that's a tough one to embody and take on. But even if it's just trying it, like even if there's mm -hmm. resistance, just saying it and then. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what, guys, like if it doesn't work for you, you don't have to take it. I have to reflect too, is like what I'm hearing in that 
for myself is I might not feel like everything happens for a reason. Sometimes things just happen, but I create meaning behind everything that happens. And it's in my power to create the meaning of what it, what it is. And I can be at the mercy of my autopilot brain, you know, boohoo, why me? Or I can decide what meaning this moment is going to have for me. And it's something that I think Katie talks about a lot too, is like, I might not be able to control what has occurred, but I can look at it and choose what happens within myself about it. And that I think that we're with that all three of those examples, like I think we're all talking essentially about that same thing of reclaiming your power and taking what you need out of every moment instead of just being at the mercy of it. All right, Katie, do you want to take us into our next segment today? Yes. So for time, it's a short, it's a short game segment, but it's something that I love because I think playfulness, Rosie is also a master of this. I think the power of play and the power of being childlike versus childish is huge. And I think adults need to step more into it. And we don't just need a kid by our side to be playful and wonderment, you know, and just, and just go to where the moment's taking us. So this game is very simple. Um, the only rules are to have fun. And then the second rule is that there's really no rules. So I'm going to say a color. I'm going to give you 30 seconds and you find something that color and you come back. And that's all you have to do. This is a weird color. I've never done this one before, but I'm going to say wood color wood. All right, Laura, you go first. Okay. So my thing that is wood colored is an actual wood metal that I got from running the Millinocket marathon in Millinocket, Maine in December, in the snow, up a mountain twice. And what was awesome about this particular race was it was free to enter because the people up in Millinocket really struggle in the winter for industry. They're like, they get a lot of people hiking Katahdin at the end of the AT and all that in the summer, but the winter is a little bit of a tough time for them. So they decided to throw a free marathon for all of the crazy adventure runners out there to come and run for free a marathon in the middle of Maine. And all they ask in return is that you patronize their Airbnbs, their hotels, their bars, their restaurants, their shops, whatever. So they have like, they throw big parties for everybody. The stops, like the water stops, they have all kinds of goodies that you wouldn't normally find at a race. Some of, you know, all of them are legal now, but they weren't necessarily when the race started. And it is the most fun, most heartwarming, most wonderful race that I ever had the chance to, to run because everything about it was like a feel good experience. Like the heart kept you warm, even when you were freezing. Cool. I'm glad I picked wood. That was a cool story. All right, Rosie, your turn. Okay. I found something different. I found this wood flute. It's a double barrel flute and it's actually from Asheville, North Carolina, where we lived for a little bit. We were back visiting and um, it was Kit's birthday. And there was this magical magician man who carves these flutes. So it's a long double barreled wooden flute. I can play a little bit. And it's got this piece that it's kind of like arrowhead shaped that's made out of some sort of um, quartz or onyx or something. And that's kind of like how the music is made. Uh, so I gave it to Kit for his birthday. And it's one of our, we have lots of many magical music making things in our home. That's one of them. <laughs> Katie, what do you have? Mine is a magnet, but the reason why, or, and I know Rosie just went through training. And um, <laughs> uh, I look at it all the time and I don't really like when I do my evening meditations and stuff, I look at it, but I've never actually been called. And th like three times while we were talking, uh, the three of us, I brought I kept looking at it and it says so it's just a piece of wood in a, in a square and it says, hello, my beautiful life. And while I was listening to both of you talk and stuff and I was like, these are so if I chose this, I was like, I chose damn good friends like I really once I got older. Uh, like, I really got the niche down finally after a few decades, <laughs> but I was so happy. So when I saw that, 
that's why I wanted to pick wood. I was just like, why do I keep looking at it? And then I was like, well, this is what the game's going to be because I think no matter how much trauma and tragedy and, and pain and loss and everything we're experiencing, it is about choosing who I get to be despite it and during it. Um, and I get to decide if this life is tragic or beautiful. And and I can be going through all those things and I can get through them because of people like both of you. So it just felt perfect to share. So Rosie, could you please tell everyone where they can find you on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me on Facebook very easily, Rosie Volcano. Instagram is Rosie underscore Volcano. And if you want to learn more about The Little Volcano, you can go to thelittlevolcano.com. Three times a year, we do an online challenge that introduces people to all of the work that we do. It's, um, it's really fun. It's like five days. It's only 29 bucks and you get a coach for a week and you get to learn about some of the concepts we've been talked about today because we basically put everything that has helped us, my partner and I, Kit and I, um, really transform our lives. We take like the most important concepts and we boil them down and we shove them all into this five day challenge. And so it's like you know, people, people's minds just start exploding. They're like, oh my God, I never knew this, but it makes so much sense. All right. It is time for our final segment. Get out of here. So the, for this one, I think you're going to love it. We tell each other when we get out of here, we're going to some make-believe fantasy pretend world, like a TV world or comic book world or movie world or book world or like some make-believe place that you're going to get out of here to tell the listeners when you get out of here, where are you going? Fantasia, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With Falcor, the luck dragon. <laughs> Done. Katie, where are you going to get out of here to? Dude, that was way too easy for her. I'm still caught up in Queen's Gamut. I'm... I'm in love with Beth, the character. I like I now I follow the actress, the poor actress I'm stalking now on Instagram. Uh, but I, I'm ups I don't like TV and I'm and I fought watching it like super stubbornly fought watching it. And I'm still now two weeks in a row and I finished watching it o over a week ago. Uh, now I'm obsessed with both the actress and the character. And that's where I'm staying still. But I'm not going to learn how to play chess. I just want to watch. Lara, where would you go? Um, today, I think I'm going to get out of here to uh, like, you know, the stop action Christmas movies like the the old Frosty, the snowman and the old like I think I want to go to that version of the North Pole. It doesn't look too cold there, but looks really fresh. And like I'm really interested in like Mr. Narwhal from Elf and like all of those things like it just seems like we could all use a little break. Like I could definitely use it a little break of just like fun and a lot of candy. So um, I think I think that's where I'm going today. <laughs> so I'm gonna go hang out with Mr. Narwhal and eat maple syrup on my spaghetti. So. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Rosie, so much for spending the time with us and sharing your heart and and everything in your life. It means a lot to me. And I'm so excited to share you and just for you to share your wisdom and your journey with us. Thank you so much for having me on. It was so wonderful to get to know both of you. I mean, to get to know you, Laura, and to hang out with you, Katie. I love you so much. And Laura, I hope that I see you again very soon. Absolutely. She'll friend you later. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, listeners. Bye. Bye-bye. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us that sweet five-star review. It helps people find us and makes our hearts ever so happy. You can follow me, Laura Ingalls, at LJ Ingalls on Instagram and Twitter. And me, Katie Lasky, at Katie Lovebomb on Instagram. Or follow the pod at Rad Resilient Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And check us out on the web at RadicalResiliencePodcast.com. However you find us out there in this virtual world, know that we are so glad you're here. We love you and we'll see you next week. <laughs>